Well, that is appropriate. Are we working? There we go. Uh, because Chris, uh, when he invited me to preach today, um, said he wanted me to include bits and pieces of the story of how our leadership came to decide to plant this church. And so I'll, I'll share that in a little bit. But in uh, all my years, I have never started a message by acknowledging where my wife and I live, which is on Racine Street, which runs through Bellingham. We're on the Racine Street that is off of Lakeway. I, I can tell you're just like, I'm pulling you right in with this beginning story. Um, the reason I'm telling you that is we've lived there for over 30 years, and over time, you get to know your neighbors. And this is the first time that the Racine gang has been all together in one church service. So David Jones, yeah, there he is with his new bride, Cindy. Come on, Cindy, right? And we have uh, right next door to us, I found out, because, you know, when do you talk to your neighbors the most? When you're getting your garbage cans to take them back in the house. And so John and Diane Harmon are our dear neighbors directly right next door. And the other night, I had no idea, but she mentioned that they have been attending this church with David's uh, invitation. And so the Racine Street Gang, we acknowledge you as we begin. Give them a hand from Racine there. All right. Um, the text that I chose for tonight really is out of a pastor's heart as I reflected on 13 years that it's been since our leadership uh, launched this group of folks called Lettered Streets. And when I completed my ministry at Bellingham Covenant at the end of 2018, I decided that I would close that fall with a series out of the book of Ephesians. And the reason is I wanted to leave Bellingham Covenant with a theological and practical understanding of what it is that we call the church. Because there are many misconceptions about the church. There's all kinds of uh, derogatory things said about God's church. We live in a post-Christian, post-modern era. We all know that. And so this is not the church of the 1950s. But the scriptures have not changed for 2,000 years in terms of what God has ordained to be his life and presence on this planet. And so uh, if you'd put up the uh, image there, uh, 1968, I read this book. Or excuse me, it was published in 1968. I read it in my early college years in the early 70s. It is called uh, God's New Society by John Stott. And Dr. Stott was uh, very influential in the global church. Uh, I could do a whole sermon on his influence, but this book grabbed me when I was in college. Because I was a church kid, I was raised in some good, healthy churches, but by the time I was in college, I was kind of like done with it. It was like... It, it, there can't be any more sermons that I haven't heard. There can't be any more illustrations I haven't heard. I think I'm kind of done with this. And I give the book of Ephesians and Dr. John Stott credit for what I call a second conversion. 
My first conversion was to Jesus Christ. But I also needed to be converted to his church. Because how many times have you heard, even from friends, especially through the impact of what I call now the COVID years, well, I still love Jesus, but I am done with his church. As if those two can be separated. And I humbly submit to you that it's not possible if you take the Bible seriously. And so I wanted to speak from this text tonight uh, and include in it the comments uh, that have to do with the history of lettered streets. Uh, I want to start, before we get to the verse 15, I want to start with verse 1 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, because here the apostle sets the tone for this entire letter, from Paul to God's holy people in Ephesus. What a wonderful way to begin this letter. And especially pastors and leaders know what goes on behind the scenes in churches. And often it's anything but holy. And yet Paul, with a full understanding of his friends in Ephesus, begins his letter by speaking to the holy people there. And it echoes to me the, one of the seminal texts of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2.9, very familiar text to the you if you know the Bible. And Peter also had a high view of the church, and he said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here's two different pastors encouraging the congregations that they are writing to that they are a part of something that is fully out of God's own plan. And then back to the end of verse 1, the Apostle Paul again talking to the Ephesians, he says, to the faithful in Christ Jesus. And if you've been around the Bible very long, you know that in Christ Jesus is Paul's favorite phrase. In the book of Ephesians alone, he uses that phrase 28 times. It's one of the important word studies for you to do in the Bible because to be in Christ is to have all of the goodness of God dwelling within us by his Spirit. Things that are so far beyond our ability to understand in our humanness, and yet the scriptures give us this wonderful picture. And so uh, we're going to jump to verse 15 in a minute, but here's the interlude, okay? When I came to Bellingham Covenant in 2003, one of the things I mentioned in my own call process to that church was that I wanted to plant a church if the Lord had allowed our church to grow. And that was a big step of faith to even say that, because the church had actually declined a bit through the late 90s for a variety of reasons. But they did have a brand new building on Bakerview. If you haven't seen it, it is a wonderful gift that God gave to that congregation. And so we were just trying to get settled in, and let me be honest, we had a big mortgage. And I was saying, well, why don't we take some people, 70, 
80 folks and let's send them sometime out on a new endeavor to plant a church. And we're not going to send disgruntled people. In fact, Chris and I made a pact eventually. I said, if I feel like any of the people that are giving me trouble want to go to Lettered Streets and give you trouble, we'll talk about it. This is, this is what pastors do when we get together. And, and again, I, I don't want to be causing you to think bad thoughts in your mind, but that's how seriously I took this. Because I had learned so much through the training I received about what it meant to plant a church. And one of the main things they said was send leaders. Send people that will serve the mission of this new church. And secondly, send folks that tithe and understand stewardship. And so six months before this church planted on Easter of 2009, I sent a letter out when we used to send letters, snail mail, to the, all the folks who had committed to coming to start this church, and I said, no longer do I want you to tithe to Bellingham Covenant. I want you to begin tithing here. And so there was a six-month period where they were building a, their own coffers, if you will, in addition to the financial support that was sent by our church. And so Chris and I had actually met up at the seminary that both of us attended at Regent in Vancouver. I was new to the church. Chris was new to Regent. He came up to me at a class at Regent, and he said, uh, my wife and I have been attending the church where you pastor. And I said, well, let's talk. And we did, and he and Corey ended up coming to Bellingham Covenant, and they were the first intern that I had, because that was another part of the vision that I had. I knew Bellingham has so many young leaders, men and women that have been called and gifted by God, and Chris and Corey were certainly one of those as we identified them. I invited him to be an intern. And so he did, and through the remainder of his seminary years, our leadership and the church became acquainted with the excellent preaching that Chris, I told him when I first met him, I said, Chris, someday I'm going to be much older than I am now, and I'd love to sit under your preaching. That's what I experienced when I first met him. But as we saw his leadership gifts, we realized he would be a great candidate to help us plant this church. And so he went through our denominational processes, was assessed and approved, we had a leadership team in place that he recruited. But I also wanted to make sure that we weren't just sending the younger people who were tired of my style, because often church plants are not really plants, they're just the folks that want a different style. And that's okay, but I wanted it to have a grounding of one of our values, which was to be intergenerational in scope. And many of my friends who are boomers took the charge and they are here tonight. They have been stalwarts in supporting this mission station. And that's why when Chris came to our leadership and said, my vision is to plant in the lettered streets, we didn't think geographically. Well, wait a minute, that's only two miles from the front door of Bellingham Covenant. Why would we do that? People aren't going to drive to go to the letters. They're just going to 
and all those geographical ideas that I had grown up with were folly. They were not true. And so if a church plant is missional, you can plant it right next door to an existing church because they're going to reach people that Bellingham Covenant likely never would have reached. And you represent that tonight as those who have put down your roots in this community. I remember when Chris talked about the first Easter egg hunt. How cool was that? Then I remembered the tutoring that he tried to, uh, or, or, or did start, uh, at, uh, uh, what's the school? T- uh, Parkview, right here. We even talked one time, Chris and I walked the Parkview grounds with the potential of doing a joint service project between Bellingham Covenant and Lettered Streets. I remember bicycle safety, when I think Letter Streets bought bicycle helmets and did some safety classes for kids. And I just, this is stuff I never would have come up with. And I rejoice in all that has happened over these years. One last thing, I could not have anticipated that Letter Streets would be such a blessing to Fountain Community Advent Christian with Pastor Rick Qualls. Rick and I came to Bellingham in the mid-80s. He's one of the old dogs. And we're, we're a couple of the old guys that are still around. And little did I know that Rick's congregation, his leadership, would reach out to Chris and your lead team and say, we want to share this space because we want to join with you in a mission to this neighborhood. And last bonus, air conditioning. How about that, huh? Yeah. All those, I've preached here when there was no AC, so thank you, Lettered Streets and uh, Fountain Christian for providing that tonight. All right, well, let's look at the text. It really is Paul's prayer. Let's go to verse 15 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people... The comma right there. He is obviously referring back to the first 14 verses of this chapter. And in those initial chapters, he's writing about the markers of his churches. And Paul knew his churches. I'm always amazed when I read his letters in this day and age where he had to handwrite something, give it to a courier, have them deliver it. And during COVID, Every church almost in the world now streams their services. Paul didn't have that luxury, and yet he knew without technology what was going on in his churches. And even though I haven't been directly involved with Lettered Streets, I know because of of consistent coffee times with Chris, hearing stories from some of you that I'm still in touch with, that this church, like the Ephesian church, has been faithful in being a ministry and mission station here in the lettered streets. Verse 16, the apostle says, I haven't stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It's an interesting place for me to be in my life right now, having served two churches, but now I'm a pastor without a parish. 
and that's okay. But I'm learning that my heart on Sunday mornings now is not about my church. In fact, throughout my life as a pastor, I, one of my disciplines on Sunday morning as I was preparing for my church was to pray for my colleagues in Whatcom County. And please know that Lettered Streets has been at the top of my prayer list every Sunday morning as I pray for your services here, for my friend Jeff Flint at First Baptist, for my friends at Hillcrest Church and Bellingham Covenant. It's a privilege for me at this stage of my life and ministry to be a prayer warrior for my colleagues and the churches in this county. In verse 17, I love the Trinitarian aspect of what Paul includes in his prayer. He didn't have to sit down and think, now how am I going to work the Trinity into this? The, the Trinity comes out of Paul's experience with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And so he says, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. They are all mentioned there, all three persons of the Trinity, but it's all intertwined because he prays that God himself will provide his spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because it's only by the Holy Spirit that our minds can be given the light of Jesus Christ to see the, way, the world the way that God does. This is a great quote from John Stott, that faith and our reason are not at odds with each other. Many non-believers wonder, and they, they pit reason against faith. And John Stott said, faith in God's ways goes beyond our ability to reason, but it rests on it. Knowledge is the ladder by which faith climbs higher, the springboard from which it leaps further. Thank you, Dr. Stott for keeping those two things together that the postmodern mind tries to separate when it thinks about faith and reason. What's the purpose? He goes on in verse 17, the apostle to write. The purpose is so that you may know Father, Son, and Spirit better. And the biblical idea of knowing God through faith, it's a holistic view. It includes our mind, our emotions, our will, and our conscience. Reverend Tim Keller has a great quote that brings all these together for me. What the heart most wants, the mind finds reasonable, and the will finds doable, and the emotions find desirable. To me, that's the holistic nature of what the Holy Spirit does in us as followers of Jesus. He is holistic in all the aspects of our faith and reason. Verse 18, the apostle now moves to intercession for the church. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Some of you were probably in Sunday school when you learned Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. This is where it's taken from. It's the only instance in the scriptures 
where two organs are linked together, eyes and heart, but it's a wonderful pairing because the apostle's prayer is that your whole inward self, the eyes of your heart, mind, emotions, and will, will all be seen as God sees you. Because our heart cannot be trusted. Our mind cannot always be trusted. And we need the light of the scriptures and the light of the Holy Spirit to illuminate that. And so it's a wonderful prayer that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. For what purpose? Continues in saying, the, the purpose is in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. And it goes without saying that Christian hope is not wishful thinking. I hope such and such and such happens. You noticed a secular mantra, I call it, and I hear it from athletes, I hear it from business leaders, I hear it from entertainers, and they say this as they talk about something that happened to them. Well, of course, we all know that everything happens for a reason. If you're not a Christian, why would you believe that? They are borrowing a Christian concept, but they're applying it without any foundation at all. There is no hope there is no belief or bedrock understanding that everything happens for a reason outside of a sovereign God who is carrying us and holding us in the palm of his hand. So Christian hope is a glorious thing. In fact, he goes on to say, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Glorious inheritance. I'm the executor of my parents' estate. My dad died 10 years ago. My mom uh, is just now under hospice care. We made that decision as a family two weeks ago. And I'm feeling the weight of that responsibility as well as my wife and I getting to a point where we gotta make sure our affairs are in order. And it helps me to know that those earthly responsibilities that I have that God's, the future for all of us, our estate and our inheritance have been secured. The down payment for all those things has been paid and taken care of. The estate planning describing our life and eternity in heaven is signed and sealed by Jesus Christ himself. Thanks be to God. Verse 19, his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. The word for power in the Greek here is dunamis. My grandfather was a preacher. His last book was in 1970, and it was entitled Dunamis and the Church. Power and God's Church. He was a churchman, and he believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, and many of you know that dunamis in Greek, we get our English word dynamite from it. It's that kind of resurrection power because of Christ's rule and reign over this planet. And he goes on to describe that that power is the same 
as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. This is amazing, folks. He links the power that is available to us today to the power that God used to raise his own son from the dead. Paul is emphasizing Christ's resurrection. He arrested the natural process of the physical deterioration and decay of our bodies, but proactively he demonstrated what a resurrection body looks like. And that's where we get most, most of our understanding of what lies ahead for us is as we study the resurrected body of Jesus. What happened next? And he seated Christ at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Now I'll admit, at this point, Paul is on hyperdrive in the kind of spiritual realities that he's talking about. This stuff is so far beyond my understanding. I just read it and go, okay, seated at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Christ is enthroned. And most of you know that in antiquity, to be on the right hand side of any ruler was the place of authority. And so you shared that authority if you were sitting at the right hand of the monarch or the king or the queen. And Paul is using that imagery I want to put up a graphic here that simply describes something I'm sure Chris, uh, Pastor Chris has preached about. But one of the views of the atonement is called Christus Victor. It's a wonderful biblical understanding of Christ's victory over the world systems that are against God, over our own sinful flesh, and over the devil's schemes. And there's so many paintings that you can look up online. Just put Christus Victor and it'll blow up on you. Because this was a dominant understanding of what the work of Christ among the early church fathers. This was their understanding because they were close to the resurrection and they were still experiencing the power of what Christ accomplished through his resurrection. So he's seated in the uh, right hand in the heavenly realms. Verse 21, Paul goes on to talk about Christ's supremacy. This is far above all the rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked. Did he miss anything in that list? Again, Paul is on a roll. I think of Jesus' resurrection, his ascension, and his enthronement. And I want you to think with me, some of you, many of you, memorized the Apostles' Creed. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is what? And is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Those three elements of our Lord's resurrection, ascension, and enthronement should never be separated. And you know why? It's very practical for me. When God puts things on my heart to pray for, that is the God that I am praying to. It is not a God that I whittled down to handle my problems. It is a God that reigns and rules over all that he has created and has put Satan and the worldly forces that are against him under his feet. 
not only in this age, but in the one to come. My mind goes, I can only conceive of 2022. I can't think about the rest of this, the life of this planet, nor eternity, but Paul can by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, and here's the crux of it for Lettered Street's covenant, for the church. All of what Paul has described is coming to this climax of saying, this is what I did all that for, it's for my bride, it is for the church. If our God is too small and we whittle him down, we lose hope, we lose faith, because we've got a God that we've tamed. We've got a God that isn't bigger than anything else than what we want him to do. And so Paul's uh, put up the graphic. I love this quote. This is a, I was actually at a, a worship conference before I completed my time at Bellingham Covenant. This was my last big pastor's conference, and one of the speakers said, a God that does not make your head hurt will never make your heart sing. <laughs> and as a worship leader and one who loves worship and music and liturgy, that is so true. Why would we come here and sing and read and go through prayers and reciting if it's a God that we control? So let God hurt your head so that your heart can sing. And lastly, Paul emphasizes Christ as head of his church. The second part of verse 22, he appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let the truth of this sink in. I don't know how you feel right now about the church in general, but I want you to let the scriptures resonate and sink into the soft soil of your heart. Jesus has only one plan on earth, and it's his church. His plan is not political parties. His plan is not nonprofits and government agencies. There's no backup plan. And when I was a young pastor and I started to see behind the curtain at the churches I was serving, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. God better have a backup plan because we're not handling this very well. But over the years, I've settled into the fact that imperfect as we are in the church of Jesus Christ, he will constantly renew his bride where it needs to be renewed. To me, and I love church history, there's no question that the Reformation had to happen. Because God's church, the Roman church, had gone into such disarray and apostasy that God said, okay, I gave you a few hundred years to get this thing right. I'm going to go find folks 
who will reform and restart. And the story to me, the simple definition of revival in church history is when churches stop listening to the work of the Spirit and start following their own ways, God says, I will find those that have ears to hear, eyes to see, and that will follow my ways. So my final uh, prayer for you, Lettered Streets, is to just remind you that it is Christ who fills his church. And the imagery of Christ being the head and we being his body is wonderful because no human body can exist without everything above our shoulders. And so rest in the fact that 13 years ago, when I was privileged to sit with what was our leadership team at that time, we didn't talk about, why don't we send a great nonprofit to Lettered Streets? Why don't we start some micro-businesses in the Lettered Streets neighborhood? How about a great political action committee in that part of Bellingham? Please hear me, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But those are not God's plan. God's plan has shown itself through the people that are Lettered Streets Covenant. Thanks be to God. Would you bow your heads, and I'd love to pray a prayer of blessing before we receive communion tonight. Jesus, as I read this Ephesian text again, my response is these things are too wonderful and too far beyond my ability to understand them. And so we simply declare them this evening. And we thank you that we can see a small measure of all of these elements in the life of this church in the lettered streets. Thank you again for Advent Christian Community Church and Rick Qualls. I pray for the relationship and the, the, the collegial friendship between Rick and Chris, between their two groups of leaders, and I pray, God, that together they can be a lighthouse right here in the core of our city. May your spirit indwell every person who is here tonight and those who are not that call Lettered Streets their home. We love you, Christ, for being the head of this church. In your name we pray. Amen.